Thank you, Steve. Morning, everyone. Yes, carry on doing that. <laughs> it might have a cumulative effect. Right, thank you, Roger. Many years ago, I had the privilege of going to Russia with a small team from here, including David Stearns, who's now in Uganda, and Paul Jazz, who's over there. One day, we had the privilege of visiting the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, where this famous painting by Rembrandt is displayed. I knew nothing about the painting at the time, but I learned about it from the author and priest, the late Henri Nguyen. He was able, a few years ago, to spend several hours sitting in front of this painting, absorbing it, absorbing its face value story, and also the hidden messages within it. And God gave him great insights, which he shared in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Now, before we delve deeper into this story, it's important to place it in the context when Jesus told it. Luke writes that the tax collectors and sinners were all crowding round to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They criticized the closeness of Jesus to sinful people. So in response, Jesus tells his critics three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or should I say sons. Jesus was speaking to the crowds in general, but particularly to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious men of their time. So bear this in mind as we look through the story, particularly when we look at the older son. So on this celebration of Father's Day, happy Father's Day to all you dads and men here, all those who have been dads, perhaps not necessarily physically, but looking after young people over the years. So this is a story that can speak surely to the men here, but also to us women. It's a story for us all. So I could start with asking the question, who do you identify with in this story? But it might be that by the end, we will feel an affinity with more than one of them. So are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Yes, looking back, I now realize how selfish and hurtful it was of me to ask for my share of the inheritance. It was almost as if I was saying to my father, I wish you were dead. It was a heartless rejection of my home in which I was born and nurtured and a break with Jewish tradition. I wanted to see other countries, to taste freedom. I'd had enough of staying at home. I wanted to get out and see the world, have fun and enjoy life a bit. What's wrong with that? But in so doing, I was rejecting the values of my heritage. I was rebellious and immature. I wanted to live the way I pleased without pressure and commitments. Foolish son that I was. I didn't realize I had everything I needed in my father's presence to be fulfilled, to be truly myself. Instead, I fled the hands of blessing. I realize now how offensive and self-centered that was of me to leave home. And yet, 
My father allowed me that freedom to find myself in spite of the pain and the loss he must have felt. Why did I do it? Perhaps I left home because I didn't feel really loved and accepted. Perhaps I felt upstaged by my older brother, always in his shadow. I suppose I was searching for unconditional love. So why did I leave home seeking that love elsewhere? On thinking about it, it surely is the same rebellion that placed Adam outside the garden, out of reach of the tree of life. It is that rebellion that made me dissipate myself in a far country. Oh, don't get me wrong, life was great at first. I made lots of new friends and I was a great success everywhere I went. But somehow my money soon ran out and my friends all disappeared. Even worse, there was a terrible famine in the land and I had to get the most menial of jobs I could find, feeding pigs, which was forbidden in the Jewish law, which said, cursed is the one who feeds swine. Well, that was the turning point. That's when I came to myself and realized how foolish and sinful I'd been, both to my father and to Father God. As long as I was away from my father's house, away from God, I realized I would never truly be myself. I bitterly regret saying, give me, give me. I now need to say, make me, make me as one of your servants. So I rehearsed it all in my head, how I would go home and confess my sin and plead to be taken on as a hired servant, no longer a privileged son, but the lowest rank of slaves, those who were taken on as day laborers with no chance necessarily of having a job the next day, but at least I would have food in my tummy. Well, suffice it to say, it didn't turn out as I planned. I think my father must have spent a large part of each day watching the far horizon. And when I came wearily into view, I suddenly saw this elderly man pick up his robes and run down the track towards me, casting all his dignity to one side. He flung his arms round my neck and kissed me tenderly. I tried responding with my rehearsed speech and my rehearsed confession, my humble desire to be made a, a servant, but his response was totally unexpected. As with a face alight with joy, he shouted to the servants to quickly get the best robe out, the robe of honour, to put the ring of authority back on my finger and to bring shoes for my feet because I was still his son. And unlike slaves who wore no shoes, sons wore shoes. And then he told them to prepare a feast to welcome back his son. Look at me in the painting. I know it's probably not so clear, that side. But I've lost the dignity of sonship. I'd had to shave my head. My body is emaciated. I have no cloak and my feet are scarred. 
Yet somehow, I managed to hang on to one thing, my sword, the badge of nobility, the sign of sonship. I kneel before my father in humble confession, and in so doing, I feel the warmth of the light radiating from his hands. His stiffened left hand is resting on my right shoulder, holding me as if he would never let me go again. And his right hand, tenderly resting on my left shoulder, flooding me with welcome and acceptance, healing and love, forgiveness and reconciliation, all these things coming together in the touch of those hands, those hands of blessing. Well, I guess it's my turn now. You can't imagine how angry I was that my father gave in to the whims of this foolish young man. Under Jewish law, I was due two-thirds of the inheritance anyway, But with that came the responsibility of looking after the women and the children in the family. I couldn't just get up and leave. I've been the model son. I've done everything expected of me. Slaved away with no thanks, not even a small goat to have a party with my respectable friends. Well, at least they're more respectable than his so-called friends. I wouldn't be surprised if he played around with, 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 with prostitutes and the like. I admit I feel hard done by. I'm still seething with resentment that my father should kill the fatted calf for this unworthy son of his. I won't even deign to refer to him as my brother. You can probably see the resentment in the painting. I'm crying, trying to keep my distance, standing stiffly with my hands clasped in front of my chest. I'm not going to let anybody in. Yes, I've stayed at home. But somehow I've still felt lost inwardly. I've done all the right things, but still felt I wasn't good enough. Outwardly, I'm the model son, but inwardly, I'm full of resentment and anger, envy and pride and self-righteousness. Perhaps I really am like the Pharisees who can't rejoice that outcasts are being blessed and welcomed. Perhaps I felt I wasn't important enough to be found. So I stand back from the light, unsure if I'm willing to confess my sin in order to be part of this heartwarming scene. I suppose my inner resentments and complaints and feeling hard done by have taken me into a far country too. Oh, perhaps I've been just as lost as my brother. Maybe I need to come to myself like he did. Maybe I need to confess my inner attitudes, my resentments, my complaints, and return like he's done to realize my father wants to embrace me just as much as he does my brother. That's the choice I'm faced with 
to stay in the darkness or move forward into the circle of light and have my Father's hands of blessing rest on me as well. So which of those two prodigal sons, two prodigal sons, do we identify with? The younger who desired to be free to do his own thing and wasted his resources and gifts, who actually represents the tax collectors and sinners in the crowd. Or the elder who on the surface was the model compliant son, but inwardly was seething and full of resentments and complaints, and he represents the Pharisees, the self-righteous attitude of those religious men. Both sons needed to find themselves. They both needed to return home to the father. They both needed to confess. And the younger son did. But we are not told if the older son walked out of the darkness, back into that circle of light and return fully into his father's love under those hands of blessing. Jesus leaves that open-ended. So let's look at the father. I'm not going to put words into his mouth. Just describe the characteristics of this amazing father who, of course, stands for Father God who, Jesus is teaching, welcomes back returning sons and returning daughters. Instead of being called the return of the prodigal, this story could easily have been called the welcome by the compassionate father. The emphasis in the picture is of the father's love, his tenderness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his reconciliation. He has already gone out to meet one son. Indeed, we are told he ran to greet him. And now he goes out to the older son to plead with him. And again, he was met with a torrent of words, but not of confession. Instead, he was met with the pent-up feeling of years. They came tumbling out, his feelings of resentment, being hard done by his many complaints. And yet, the father speaks as tenderly to the older son as he did the younger. He loves them both and has many gifts to give his son if he did but just ask. And yet his older son cannot understand the joy the father feels at seeing his younger son come back, as it were, from death to life. There is no doubt that the father's heart goes out to both sons. This isn't a father who sits at home doing nothing, but one who is always on the lookout for his lost son, his lost daughter. He's always ready to pick up his skirts, enduring as Jesus did the indignity and the pain of the cross. A father who is always watchful, always waiting, and always running to greet the returning one. And look again at the hands of the father. On them, all the light is focused, as are the eyes of the bystanders. They're all looking at the father's hands. 
God's hands expressed so beautifully in a painting. The father generously dresses the younger son with all the signs of freedom. Likewise, God covers us with the robe of righteousness and he sets us free. He fills us with the Holy Spirit, partly so that we will have a personal experience of the Father in a new way, in a way that we couldn't before, but also as a sign of the inheritance that we will one day enjoy, not as servants or slaves, but as friends, as sons, as daughters, as heirs of the kingdom. We can share in the sonship of Jesus because we are joint heirs with Christ. Like the father in the story, God's only desire is to bring us home. And in so doing, he offers us forgiveness, reconciliation and healing. And oh, how he rejoices when the lost ones are found, when they return home. As you grow older, have you ever looked in the mirror and thought, oh my goodness, I'm becoming like my mother or my father. It's happening to me more and more. I think I'm beginning to look more like my dear Ollie. In the light of this parable, we may feel that we are like one of these two sons, the one who selfishly went off and wasted his money and his gifts and his life and suffered accordingly, or the other who on the surface did all the right things but inwardly was seething with resentments and anger. But there is a third possibility. In the cycle of life, we are born, we grow as children and teenagers into adults, then many in turn become parents themselves and grow gracefully, we hope, into old age. Well, I think there is a spiritual cycle of life too, of young Christians learning and developing their faith, growing into more spiritual responsibilities growing old both in years and in faith. So is there a sense in which it may be our turn to move away from the childish things that these two sons represent onto the maturity that the father represents? To let go of the child in me to truly become the son and heir Paul says it clearly in Corinthians, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Jesus made it clear in John's Gospel that if we remain in him, the vine, then we are also in the Father, and the Father is in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So as we grow and mature in spiritual things, more and more we will take on the likeness of Jesus and the characteristics of God, the Father. So perhaps it is now our turn to be the welcoming Father, to be actively looking for the lost, to be praying for their return, to run out to meet them as they take those first tentative steps back, even if it means losing our dignity, to use our hands to forgive, console, 
comfort and heal, to offer our joy on their return and offer a festive meal, to share all that we have with them. We are destined to step into our Father's place and offer to others the same compassion that he has offered to us. So is it now our turn to be the one who welcomes home, the one who forgives, who offers compassion and those hands of blessing? Both sons were sinners. Both were lost. The younger son realized it and did something about it. The older son wasn't even aware of his anger and resentment, but he too was lost in his own world. They both needed to return to the father's welcoming arms and be embraced in the father's love. And the father showers the younger son with gifts on his return. And when we return to God, our heavenly father, he lavishes us generously with gifts after running out to meet us. He blesses us abundantly with his love, forgiveness and new life. So it is, it is in the returning that we will actually truly find ourselves. It is in returning that we will grow and mature and take on spiritual responsibilities. It is in returning that give me, give me, give me changes to make me, make me, make me a servant. It is in returning that we move out of the darkness into the cycle, the circle of God's light. And it is in returning that we shake off the selfish desires and mixed conceptions of both sons and become instead the spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that this world so desperately needs, willing to carry the responsibilities of a spiritually adult person and dare to see how much joy there is and fulfilment as we welcome home the lost, the wounded, the hurt, loving them freely, expecting nothing for ourselves. And it is in returning and stepping into the light that we ourselves become lights in the world, drawing others into God's circle of light and healing. Living out this spiritual fatherhood and motherhood means coming to that place where we ourselves are home that we let go of the rebellion and selfish ways of the younger son or the resentments of the older and just learn to be content in our father's house. Then both sons in me and both sons in you will gradually be transformed into the compassionate and loving father. And what greater joy can there be when we, in our turn, stretch out our tired hands and let our hands rest on the shoulders of the ones who are returning. Amen.